All right, guys, I'm here. Um, this is Glitching the Code, and I'm here with a gentleman called Mark Devlin. He is a UK-based club and radio DJ, a musical journalist, and he is uh, author of Musical Truth, uh, Volume 1 and 2. These are incredible books. Um, I've looked into the music industry um, quite in depth and in the film industry, and, and I think once you start looking into this work, it leads you all together, and all of these strands come together. Mark's books are the best I've found on the music industry, and coming and bringing all these strands together. So, Mark, thank you for joining me today. Well, thanks for the kind words, Rich. And it makes me tired just hearing all that about what I do. I never actually stopped to think about how much there is. But, yeah, it's a lot of work. It's uh, It keeps me busy. But better that than being bored and aimless, right? Well, it is. And you're doing something that's, that's obviously um, a passion for you. So how did you come to see the music industry? You've obviously started off as a DJ in, in the light that you have. Do you remember that first time you thought, hang on a minute, these things aren't quite what they seem well i think it was a degradation in the music that i played which i noticed as the 2000s uh, wore on probably from about 2006 2007 i noticed that so-called urban music which i played up to that point hip-hop and r&b and reggae dance all these kind of styles that is the stuff that i made a name for myself as a dj playing and for many years i went out doing gigs and i did radio shows playing all this stuff and i was very much a part of the scene mixing and mingling and networking with other DJs and producers and record company folk and artists from those genres. But I noticed that the music was really starting to degrade in terms of its quality round about that time. And this sort of coincided with me getting into some reading and some research pertaining to what was going on in the world generally. And I came to realize that my worldview up to that point was very, very naive and had been very skewed by what I'd absorbed through mainstream media and societal programming that we all get through the so-called education system and the nightly TV news and what government ministers tell us and what scientists and academic professors tell us and all this. And I slowly and grudgingly became came to realize that the world is nothing like we thought it was. And this applies to all aspects of our lives. And to cut a long story short, uh, I realized that entertainment and popular culture and specifically the music business that I was a part of uh, was no different. And that manipulation and corruption and aspects of mind control and in training the general public in what to think were very much woven into that whole scene. And so I came to realize that the degradation of the music was no accident. It was no random thing because people were saying at the time, oh, it's just the way the industry goes. You know, the music scene goes in cycles and uh, things progress. But I didn't see it progressing. I saw it regressing. And hip hop, which was my chosen kind of art form that I really attach myself to, uh, had become so unrecognizable from what it was in the early 90s when I first got into it that I realized that there were agendas at play. And then I came to understand that the music industry is controlled by secret societies that are steeped in occult ritualistic activity. Many people have a lot of trouble with statements like that in terms of accepting them, but I've done the research and many other people have as well. And there have been many insiders from these industries that have come forward to confirm just that. And we get more and more evidence of it with every passing week. 
And uh, I realized that the music scene was being used to uh, push certain social engineering agendas and to change culture, to change societal attitudes, to have mind controlling effects on people, to affect the subliminal subconscious minds of large numbers of people and implant ideas and perceptions. And this has formed the basis of my work now for the past eight years plus. Uh, it led me to put out the two books, Musical Truth Volumes 1 and 2, and I've just immersed myself in this research because once my interest got piqued by it, uh, I just couldn't turn away from it. You know, you, you fall down the rabbit hole, to use that analogy, and there's no climbing back out of it again. And also, I'm someone that has never appreciated discovering that I've been lied to hmm. and that I've been deceived and cheated I don't take kindly to discovering that. And when I uh, realize that it's happened, it's very important for me personally to find out how I was duped, what methods and tactics were used uh, so that I can arm myself to know better for next time. And I encourage other people uh, in this regard as well. I always end my public talks by uh, suggesting to others that they might like to look into the ways in which they themselves have been deceived and make sure that doesn't happen again to them. It's a very painful process for people to come to terms with. No one likes to accept that a music genre or a scene or a movement or a fad or a trend or a favorite personal hero or guru of theirs might not be all that they thought they were and there might be more to know. But as I say so often, it just comes down to whether you're somebody that wants truth no matter what, no matter how unsettling it may be, or whether you're someone that is happy to live under mind control and know that you are. I don't understand how anyone can be content living that way, but apparently large numbers of people still can because denial runs deep. So uh, that's a fairly long-winded response to your question. <laughs> it's, it's, it's exactly how I got into into looking into this stuff as well. Um, and it does lead you down and down into to this rabbit hole. Um, one of the terms that I really like from your book um, is lifetime actors. Now, this really rung a bell with me. There was two things in your book, that, and I will speak about the one later, um, but this one, lifetime actors, I thought that really actually makes sense to me now, that these people are brought up to do certain jobs, and I've called it like a ticking time bomb. They're put in certain positions to go off at certain certain um, points in their career to do certain things. Can you explain to listener what, what, what you mean by lifetime actor? Sure. Uh, I was just trying to pull up a lyric there from one of my favourite conscious rappers uh, in this regard. Diesel Automatic is an awesome MC. Grew up in Chicago. He's now based in Montenegro in the Balkan region of Europe. And uh, I recited this lyric on a radio show the other day, and I unfortunately screwed it up. And I made a mental note to myself to never try and rap on a radio show again. <laughs> I, I, I'm no rapper, but uh, I, I do just want to uh, recite this lyric because it yep. really sums up everything that we just said. So he's got this track called Here I Stand. And he comes in blasting with his verse saying, uh, I put my music on the web as a method to spread my message. People be like, Diesel, why are you getting so aggressive? I do it because I'm pissed off. Our whole lives we've been lied to, cheated, mistreated, deceived and ripped off. So he's saying there what motivates him to make the conscious music that he does. And that's exactly what motivates me. Just going back to what I was saying. Our whole lives we've been lied to, cheated, mistreated, deceived and ripped off. And I don't take kindly to any of that. So to get on to lifetime actors, this is a term that was coined by Joseph Atwill 
author and researcher. He did Caesar's Messiah, and he's done a whole bunch of other things. He did a load of shows with Jan Irvin on Gnostic Media uh, going back a few months. Those two have since fallen out, and they don't work together anymore, but I'm not going to get into the whole politics of that. But it was Joe Atwill that coined the term Lifetime Actor, and they did many shows on Gnostic Media, actually exposing many of the people that fall into that category. So a Lifetime Actor is somebody who is presented to us through the media and through popular culture as one thing or the other. So they can be a politician, they can be a consciousness guru, they can be a business leader, think Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, Richard Branson, people like that. They could be a prominent musician, they can be a Hollywood actor, a television presenter, a favorite sports star, Arnold Schwarzenegger, somebody like that. Uh, and the public is entrained to think of them as just that. Oh, well, Bill Gates is that nerdy computer guy. You know, Mark Zuckerberg's that um, dorky college kid that invented Facebook. But when you go a little further and you actually delve beyond the mainstream Wikipedia version of events that these people want you to stick with, you discover some very interesting things. And this style of research is available to anyone that wants to get into it. You know, it's it's been termed citizen research. It's people just basically uh, doing all this work off their own backs. You don't need any kind of academic background. You don't need any kind of training. You don't need any kind of letters after your name. Ordinary people are getting involved in this this stuff all the more now. And it's research that anyone can do on the Internet because all the information is there in the public domain. So you can start to delve into the backgrounds and the family connections and the affiliations of many of these people. And when you do, you discover many interesting things right there waiting to be found. And it's then a case of joining the dots and seeing what patterns and trends emerge. And you find time and time again that so many of these people uh, are not quite who you thought they were. And uh, their links go much further than what you'll get in their official biographies. So you find connections going into military intelligence all the time. There's uh, connections to the CIA, uh, the FBI, MI5, MI6, the Tavistock Institute of Human Relations in London, uh, these think tank organizations like Stanford Research Institute, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, these academic uh, organizations, you know, Yale and Harvard universities. Then you start getting into some of these secret societies that are connected to uh, these institutions like Skull and Bones at Yale and the Bohemian Club, the Century Club. Uh, You find when you go back far enough connections into occult organizations like the Church of Satan, the Process Church of the Final Judgment, all of this. Uh, Freemasonry comes up very regularly in terms of family links. Uh, You find connections into occasionally these think tank organizations like the Bilderberg Group and the Council on Foreign Relations. And none of these things should be present in the biographies and the backgrounds of these people if they are just as we're told they are musicians and, you know, film stars and stuff like this. I did a talk at an Acapulco in Mexico just a couple of weeks ago, and I used Madonna as an example. So my talk there was titled No More Heroes. And because that conference was aimed at an audience of anarchists who are people that reject any kind of governmental authority over them, they just want to live freely. And they don't want to be bothered. They just want to be left alone. They do no harm. They cause no harm to another uh, and they just wish to uh, live free sovereign lives in that way and my message to them was uh, I completely appreciate 
the mindset that you espouse, but there is a way in which you are being controlled and manipulated and coerced that very few people seem to think about. And that is what gets done through celebrities and through popular culture. And I use Madonna as an example. There was a quote from uh, a video that she put out in 1985 of her Virgin, yeah, right, tour. And uh, at the beginning of it, she she says something along the lines of, uh, I came to New York. I didn't know anyone. Uh, I had to work really hard. I had to make some connections, do a bit of hustling. Uh, I stayed true to my dreams. Uh, I kept wanting it every day. And against all the odds, I made it and I was successful. And that's the fairy story that mm. we're entrained to accept with so many of these people. Uh, you know, you're supposed to believe that artists such as Madonna and bands such as U2 and Coldplay and the Rolling Stones and the Who uh, just work really hard, cross their fingers for good luck, play a few gigs, do a bit of hustling and networking, meet the right people, get put on and then earn themselves a record deal and become millionaire superstars that travel the world and become household names. Well, uh, when you continue with this example of Madonna and you look into her background, you discover through her genealogy the bloodlines that she emanates from and the certain the other people that she's connected to via these bloodlines so professional genealogists have dug into this and they've published family trees and charts which are available online which show that madonna is linked genealogically one way or another to george bush yeah well both george bushes uh barack obama dick cheney So George Bush himself was actually genealogically linked to his own vice president. (laughs) And yet with... Yeah, mental, isn't it? Well, it makes a complete mockery of this illusion of choice when it comes to political votes. Uh, And then there's connections going into Celine Dion, who's a cousin of Madonna. I mean, these are cousins several times removed. So it's like ninth cousins or twelfth cousins Mm. or something like this. But nevertheless, we're talking about the same families that keep cropping up in the public eye generation after generation. Madonna is also linked to Ellen DeGeneres or Degenerate, whatever she's called, you know, the TV presenter (laughs) and comedian. And you just got all these insane links going off all over the place. There's connections going into Brad Pitt, who in turn is actually related to angelina jolie yeah uh so it makes a lot of sense yeah it just becomes ridiculous and you realize that these people are placed in the public eye rather than having worked really hard against all the odds and they're just the lucky ones that broke through you realize that the entire game is rigged and we're not told this, you know, you'll, you'll get articles in the newspaper that say, well, genealogists have discovered this amazing link between Madonna and Celine Dion. Who knew? But they never join the dots fully and, you know, bring it to its logical conclusion, which is to say, well, hang on a minute. It looks as if all these celebrities are becoming famous because of who they are and what families they come from. It's never linked that way. And in the UK, you're probably familiar with this show they have on BBC One called Who Do You Think You Are? And this is where they take a celebrity and they get genealogists to dig into their past and historians to look into where their families came from. One example recently was Danny Dyer, you know, who's portrayed as this good old Cockney geezer, EastEnders and all this. And it turns out that he's actually descended from British royalty going back several generations, one of the English kings. And he's descended from this statesman politician, Thomas Cromwell. I mean, what are the chances of that happening just randomly? (laughs) you know versus uh these people uh deliberately being given these roles and so of course this is the 
main crux of what I'm putting forward when I talk about lifetime actors and culture creation. It's all served up to us. Uh, and we're being mugged off by being asked to believe that it's all random and haphazard and it could have been anyone. Yeah, and I, and, it, and it makes a lot of sense. And um, there's people like you spoke about Ed Sheeran, and I come from Norwich, so I know Ed Sheeran's past quite well, and how it was made into he was homeless and he was, it was ridiculous. He lived, he slept on his mate's couch a couple of times when he was hungover. Um, and his uncle, I'm sorry, his dad, as you you've pointed out in your talks, is a curator for um, was it the fiftieth uh, birthday of Prince of Wales, uh, the Prince of Wales? Yeah, he's um, connected to the royal family yeah. and the United Nations. Exactly. So this guy isn't picked out of um, thin air. And it makes a mockery of all of these people going on these X Factor programs, these voice programs. Um, it, it is quite clearly a puppet show anyway, and it's quite clearly just a panto. But that even to that level, I don't think people realise that this really is not going anywhere. I speak to Steve Brookstein quite a lot, who won the original X Factor. Um, quite good friends with him and he talks about the background of it um, and he's a fascinating man to speak to about this sort of thing I've just done a um, a film where I spoke to Ronan Parks who came I think second or third in one of the Britain's Got Talent and he talks about the background of this as well and this, this thing has been given to us not just in the music industry but in the film industry in um, working for someone in a so, uh, self-development field you can be the next Tony Robbins you can't be that that is something that kids are being set up to fail um, to. They're, they're, they're trying to get somewhere that the door is just not open for them. That's heartbreaking. Well, yeah. And like I said, you know, uh, young people are being coerced into believing that all you've got to do is work really hard and keep honing that talent and get yourself on one of these uh, shows in front of a judging panel and you too could be the next superstar and it just doesn't work like that you know there's been all kinds of stories about talent shows like britain's got talent and x factor and all these being rigged they know who they want to win the whole thing is just an entertainment vehicle designed to draw in viewers each week and uh, it's pretty tragic because these industries whether it's the film industry or television or supermodels even or professional sports on top of the music industry are very seductive and attractive to young people you know it's a bit more sexy than pushing the trolleys in the car park at tesco or working behind the counter at mcdonald's <laughs> you know so it's understandable why young people would want to emulate their heroes and their stars and try and be like them but it's it really is a trap and uh, these industries are not somewhere you want to be at least in the upper echelons of it so a lot of people have written to me over the months and they've said oh well i'm in a band or i'm a producer or i'm a vocalist and i really want to express my art because uh, i feel i've got some talent and i want to put some messages out there and make some good music but i'm very wary of being caught up in the industry machine and so the only advice I can give is that you should absolutely pursue uh, your goals and express your art and your skills as best you can. But just be very wary of reaching certain levels in the industry. So I've never worked within the industry machine uh, in that way. You know, I've always been on the periphery of it as a DJ. So I've never been employed by any record company or any other corporation just a couple of radio stations. So I don't know exactly what the process is, but people have come forward that have been a part of the industry, you know, insiders, whistleblowers, and they've told me, you know, they reaches a point where 
you've exhibited a certain amount of skill and talent and it's been noticed and these spotters for the industry will then approach you at a certain point and make you that golden offer uh, and invite you to be elevated up the next few rungs of the ladder. And that's the point where you have to start to be wary. So you're allowed to kind of grind and graft away and express yourself uh, pretty much on your own terms until you reach a certain level. And then you're uh, invited to step into the frame and, you know, start attending these eyes wide shut style parties. Mm. And that's the point where people really need to just say no and pull back. And it will be difficult because they'll be turning their backs on what appear to be some amazing things that are being offered to them, you know, million pound or million dollar contracts and the promise of yachts and mansions and jet set lifestyles. But uh, it's everything that comes with it that you don't get told the ways in which you have to degrade yourself uh, and humiliate yourself with some of the things that you're going to be asked to do. And uh, again, this might sound fantastic and outrageous to people, but from what I've been told, it's very, very real. And if you go on YouTube and look at some of these videos that other researchers have put out and that people in the industry have come forward and talked about, you realize that these uh, sick satanic rituals and these dark occult uh, sort of uh, witchcraft uh, events are very real. And some of your uh, very favorite names, uh, the identities of which would shock many people, will have been involved in these things as a condition of their fame. Just by way of one solitary example, I don't know if you recall a story that emerged uh, probably a year or two ago involving John Travolta. And uh, I forget the exact details because I'm doing this off the top of my head. But he got into some sort of altercation with I think it was a hotel worker. And uh, he started moaning and screaming at him. And this guy was uh, uh, saying something about, oh, you're a superstar. I'm just a, a regular working class guy and you're abusing me. And John Travolta said something along the lines of I'd have to check out the exact detail. But he said, if you knew what I had to do to become as famous as I am to uh, achieve this status, you'd want to stay in that job and you would not want to be where I am now. And I think he gave some further detail about it as well. But because I don't have the quote in front of me, I won't go into the specific detail. But, you know, there's one example of somebody breaking down the fact that that kind of fame and fortune and success comes with a very heavy price to pay that most people would just not want to have to do. Yeah, it does. And, um, and there's a, a bit of research that I've looked up into the, the origins of the term Hollywood, which is from Rome. And there's a place in Rome called Hollywood. And um, just to briefly sort of explain that it's built around, it looks like the Hollywood Hills, so they've done a complete restructure um, in um, in Hollywood. And it's based around a place called Diana's Mirror. And what it used to be was um, they used to get all the rich um, kings, knights or whatever um, to go in there on their boats to be promised to be made stars. So I'd assume they'd go in there and have some sort of um, ritual to live forever. But when they got in there, they were raped and pillaged and everything was stolen from them and it's it's um it's what they're doing in hollywood now is the same alluring thing they'll bring you in with your talents but once you're in you're locked in um and that's an old ritual hollywood um the word holly comes from the holly tree satanic tree um the holly i think it was the wands were made of so there's a lot of deep ritualistic things that go into this along the years which i'm sure you 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 know yourself in doing your research i don't think people realize how 
literal that they take these things, these people. Angelo, Gina Jolie's on YouTube talking about sacrificing a snake. I mean, I think it's so fantastical that people really don't believe it, don't want to believe it as well. That's right. I didn't know all of that about the origins of Hollywood that you just mentioned. I, I've heard it said that the name derives from the holy woods, which is a kind of wand that magicians, druids used to use in ancient times to perform yeah. magic, ceremonial magic. And it took its name from that. Um, yeah, I mean, the thing about uh, these celebrities being into all these dark occult uh, ritualistic practices is that they're relying on the general public exhibiting exactly that kind of reaction to it oh that's that's too much that can't be true that just sounds ridiculous i can't accept that at all for as long as the general public comes out with reactions like that guess what it continues so it doesn't really matter that any one individual might reject all this and think it's ridiculous and just not accept it at all they do you know, yeah. these people that we're talking about and their controllers, their handlers, those that run these industries, they do take all this stuff very seriously. They're into these religious practices. Like I said at the start, it is occult practitioners that are running all these industries, going up into these secret society networks. That's the control web that feeds down into all these other aspects of society. So it's very, very real, uh, regrettably. And then you get stories like uh, the one that we've had recently with R. Kelly. So. Yeah. There's been rumors about R. Kelly for years. You know, I remember back in the 90s when I used to play a lot of his music because I loved the R&B stuff that he put out in the 90s. But I remember there was this unsavory story about how he'd married Aaliyah, yes, the other R&B yeah. singer who's now deceased in uh, suspicious circumstances, uh, when she was 15. Uh, and then that marriage had to be very quickly annulled and, uh, you know, made void because it was illegal. And that was a bit troubling, you know, a grown man wanting to marry a 15 year old girl. And then there were all these stories of uh, sex tapes that he'd allegedly made with these underage girls and he was pissing on them and all this horrible <laughs> stuff. Uh, and then more recently, we've had all these full blown accusations about R. Kelly running some kind of mind control cult commune where he kept all these women as like concubines and he would just help himself to sexual favors from them. And uh, he would kind of have this mind controlling effect over them where he cut them off from their families and uh, he'd teach them to revere him as some sort of, uh, you know, father figure to them and, you know, all this weird and strange stuff. And this has all come out through this uh, several part documentary, Surviving R. Kelly. Mm -hmm. And now finally, that guy's name is Mud. So we had all these rumors for, for many years, but his record still got played. You know, R&B DJs would always finish the night with Ignition Remix as the lights came up. But I don't think you'll be hearing that in the clubs too much anymore because it's just too much now. There's been too much about R. Kelly that's come through about his sordid sexual antics. And it wouldn't surprise me if this would be the case with the vast majority of artists on his level. It's just that every now and again, one of them either gets a little indiscreet and becomes a bit of a loose cannon and you know, takes this whole agenda a bit too far on their own personal uh, whim. Uh, or it's the case that every now and again, for whatever reason, the industry likes to throw one of these people to the dogs and they let the press get hold of them and they let them get hung out to dry and all these sordid details emerge. Uh, but it wouldn't surprise me if 
most if not all artists on that level have deep dark secrets of this nature i can only speculate on why it is that the likes of r kelly get exposed we've got all this stuff about michael jackson now as well and on the day that we're recording this this very evening channel four is set to screen the first part of this documentary uh, leaving neverland which is where you've got two more uh, grown males who are accusing Michael Jackson of having sexually molested them when they were kids, which sits alongside the other allegations against Michael Jackson, which we already know about. So it's not looking good 10 years after his uh, apparent death, all this stuff coming out. Mm. But uh, I think all this stuff is business as usual in the sick, diseased machine that is the corporate music industry. It's yep. just another day at the office. I would agree with you there. Um, regardless of whether we think Michael Jackson and R. Kelly are are um, guilty or not guilty of this stuff, this stuff goes on in the industry. And I, and and you have to look at the timing when this stuff comes out. I think we just said in an email previously that that tomorrow is Harvey Weinstein's court appearance. Now that hasn't been brought up in the mainstream media at all. And if you look at the connections between Oprah Winfrey, Michael Jackson, Dave Geffen. <laughs> And um, Harvey Weinstein, this seems to be a bit of a distraction from Weinstein's court case coming on here. Now, it's not to say that anyone in this thing hasn't got mud on their hands. What is to say is that these things are timed very well. Yeah, and and this is the way the industry works. If you feel like you're going to get in the industry and no, you'll be okay. These are my mates. They will throw you under the bus as soon as you, as soon as it's your turn to to take that. Um, this these people are psychotic and psychopathic that's the industry that you're getting involved with whether that's the film industry or the music industry or any media industry there's reasons why myself and, and mark do this sort of work and have to have side jobs because you can't talk about these things and have, earn a good living in the media industry I, I don't know what are your thoughts on that mark yeah there's very little money in truth mate as mm. we come to discover and you have to keep those day jobs going sometimes, uh, unfortunately. Uh, it brings to mind another story, everything that you just said there, which is very current. Uh, I think it arrived in my inbox just this morning. The NME have run a story this week about Kanye West, who's been a very deeply troubled soul for many years now. And uh, unfortunately, I just don't think the whole story is going to end well for Kanye West because of how deeply embroiled he is in this industry. But this story is talking about uh, the details of his recording contract with EMI as the holding company for all these smaller sort of sub subsidiary record labels and production companies. And the details of this contract stipulate that Kanye West can never retire. Right. You can get into the wording of it, but it's basically saying we own your ass for life, reading between the lines. You know, it's all there in legal terminology, but it's saying basically you will continue to serve this corporation. You will continue to come up with creative output. You will continue to supply us with albums and productions for the rest of your days. So uh, that's a pretty grim contract to be locked into. But again, it wouldn't surprise me if this is the nature of the contracts that many of these artists are locked into. You know, I've often mused over why it is that the likes of Paul McCartney, in inverted commas, we won't get into the uh, the replacement thing today. Uh, that's something for another show. But, you know, if we accept for a moment that that is actually Paul McCartney, yeah. uh, there he is still touring and still performing at 76 years of age, 77 in June. 
why would you want to still be doing that? I know people say, oh, he loves it. It's his life. Uh, it keeps him active and energetic. He gets a buzz off of doing the tours and making the albums and stuff. But really, you know, that guy could have retired 25, 30 years ago and not had a single financial worry. Do you really still want to be slogging it out and going through all these different time zones and having all these tiring late nights and life on the road at 77 years of age. And then you think of the likes of the Rolling Stones, you know, Mick Jagger and Keith Richards still out there, still doing their thing. Uh, Cliff Richard, not quite so much these days. He's had a uh, couple of issues, you know. A couple of issues, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we could do another, another whole show and a documentary on Cliff Richard. That's to come. A couple of issues, yeah. Of issues, uh, but, you know, yeah. Tom Jones and Bob Dylan and there's so many artists that you can cite that are still touring in their 70s. And it wouldn't surprise me if they've got a similar kind of contract to Kanye, which stipulates that you will continue to serve this industry machine for the rest of your days. For as long as you do, you'll be looked after. You can earn, you know, a great living and have a fantastic, lavish lifestyle. And, uh, you know, all will be good, but you just have to do what's asked of you and toe the line and don't become a loose cannon don't make inappropriate statements on chat shows and things like this uh and if you're prepared to do that you can live to a ripe old age and you know enjoy all these financial trappings but unfortunately your soul in a very literal sense is no longer your own because you're not living freely going back to what I mentioned earlier about how all these people at Anarchapulco are individuals who recognize their personal sovereignty in creation. We're born free and we have a right to live free of any kind of coercion or any kind of violation into our lives so long as, so long as we cause no harm. But that's not the way these rock stars and all these celebrities are living. They're not living freely. They're not living on their own terms. They're living according to what somebody else is stipulating that's no kind of freedom that's no way to live and no amount of yachts and mansions can ever make that worthwhile in my view yeah i, I totally agree and i think it's an incredibly important thing for people to for young kids to hear and even bob dylan didn't he say famously in, a, in, a, in an interview that he's still paying the man he made a deal with the devil and he's still holding up his end is that is that's that right yeah. yeah, he did this famous interview with Ed Bradley on 60 Minutes many years ago now. But, uh, you know, the host was asking him what the secret is to his longevity. And he said, oh, I made a deal a long time ago and I'm keeping up my end of the bargain. And the host says, may I ask who you made the deal with? And he said he hesitates for a bit and stutters. And then he says, oh, you know, the, the chief commander. And then the host says, uh, the chief commander of this world. And Dylan says of this world and the world we can't see. That's a famous interview snippet, but it tells you so much. It tells you so much, and I really feel for these. I've used to be a youth worker, um, and I've I saw a lot of young people. Want, I know I wanted to be in the music industry when I was younger as well. I didn't have the talent, unfortunately, but well, fortunately, actually, come to think of it. But it, yeah, it, your, your best gift, uh, best gift, <laughs> yeah. Um, but it. it um, it just is heartbreaking to see these people so desperate and we're going to do i'm just about to start a work on another documentary which is about social media and um the addiction it's called dying to um dying to be seen and the addiction to be seen and um and that plays into it i did a documentary with brian harvey used to be an e17 um and that came and it was funny when we were doing it because it wasn't supposed to be about what he wanted it eventually to be about but he actually called it invisible and it all comes back to he can't 
go back to having a normal life and being working a normal nine to five job or even a job that's in a music industry. Um, he has to be a pop star still. And it's ruined his psychology. Um, and, and that's really hard to see. And uh, working with him, it was an eye opener and all the other stuff that came with it. Well, yeah, I, I can certainly uh, see how that would be the case. I mean, in my own situation, I've never been anywhere close to being any kind of superstar DJ or any kind of celebrity, and I never wanted to be. I'm very grateful for that. But there was a time where I was reasonably well known in my scene and, you know, quite recognizable. And uh, I've had to make a lot of changes since those days. I play virtually no gigs now. I just do the odd gig here and there for promoters that I already know or for DJ mates or whatever. Uh, little festival appearances and things like this but I'm not out there on the club circuit like I used to be and I'm not meeting artists and hobnobbing with uh, industry types and stuff and I'm quite grateful for that because that's just not where I'm at in my life anymore that used to be important to me but it's not anymore but I tell you what uh, even though I have to go out there in the car and do private hire driving to pay the bills I feel free mm. I feel as if I'm living freely and uh, I'm beholden to no one, to no corporation. Nobody tells me what to do. Uh, I've been self-employed for the past 20 years, and it's just a beautiful feeling just to be able to make your own decisions and not to have to hold up your end of any kind of bargain or deal, in the words of Bob Dylan. And uh, it's just a beautiful thing. So I can understand how somebody like Brian Harvey, even though he's basically broken free of the industry, from what I can make out, um, you know, he's... It's tainted him and uh, he's not going to be able to live a completely normal life like you were saying because of all the stuff that he has been involved with. Uh, I mean, you, you all know his situation better than me. I have followed some of his videos and he seems to have spent a lot of time talking about his phone hacking problems mm. with the news of the world. And although that's wrong and obviously should never have happened, as far as I'm concerned, it's kind of a personal situation between him and those other parties involved. What I'm far more interested in hearing about is what he knows about stuff that goes on in the music industry and certain individuals and things that they've been involved with. And he seems to be quite hesitant and reticent to come out with details of that. In many ways, it's understandable why he would be so hesitant. But um, I think what people really want to know when it comes to Brian Harvey is not the details of how his phone was hacked, but what he knows and what he's seen yeah i mean it doesn't take a genius to work out the lines between his manager tom watson um watkins um child line esther ranson jimmy savile you can put the dots together it's not hard to find not hard to yeah. figure out what's going on there really really isn't um there's other things like tony mortimer um being was there at one of the craze funerals i mean these aren't hard things and to 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 put together if you do a little the tiniest bit of research this is my my other question to you as well and i appreciate your time um is that do you find it hard to communicate with people knowing what you know and and knowing that they don't they can't see the world this way and it, it, do you find it frustrating i find it frustrating as if to say like, how can you not know these things and sometimes i forget that actually people don't know any of this at all it's very easy to forget that not everyone sees things the way you do and not everyone has done the research that you do. Absolutely. And I'm reminded of that many times, particularly when I get into conversations with 
older people so it can be you know guys in their 50s or 60s and maybe they were fans of the rolling stones or the beat wars or the who or the grateful dead or the doors back in the 60s you know and i might say something like oh well you know it's a shame uh, the doors were so connected into military intelligence mm. and one of these old guys will say well, what, what do you mean what are you talking about and you go into the background of jim morrison or you could talk about the connections between the grateful dead and the cia and you know these old guys are hearing this for the first time and of course, the instant reaction is to reject it and say, you're talking bollocks, mate. You know, I was there in the 60s. You weren't even born. What do you think you know? Yeah. Well, I've just researched it. That's all the same way that you could if, if the will was there to do so. But people just don't want to hear it. It goes back to everyone having personal heroes. And I've been just as guilty of that as anyone. Uh, I used to have personal DJ heroes. With me, it was, you know, other successful high profile DJs that I looked up to and uh, would hang on their every word. But I've had to let all those go because I've discovered that they're all tainted and they're all corrupted and they're not who I thought they were. So it's difficult for everyone to let go of these personal heroes. We all have nostalgic investment one way or another in certain individuals. But, uh, you know, again, you either want it or you don't. One thing I do find about doing the work that I do, the nature of it, is it is a good way to hook people in to truth and freedom and conspiracy issues generally, right. because it's a good conversation starter. When I'm talking to a young person who might be into Beyonce or Rihanna or Little Wayne or, God forbid, Ed Sheeran. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's it's a good way of engaging these people in a, in a conversation. If you can say something to someone in their 20s, let's say they, they love Beyonce and they're fans of Jay-Z and Kanye West. And you could say, well, you know, there's there's a lot you don't know about these artists. You know, who is going to walk away from a conversation like that? And say, is there? All oh, right. OK, see ya. The only reaction you're ever going to get is, well, what? What is it? Tell, tell me more. Yeah. So then you can get that conversation going and you can say, well, there's a few videos you need to look at and have a look at this article about Jay-Z. And you know those people are going to go straight home and check all that stuff out to make sure you're not bullshitting. And once they do, uh, you've started a process there. Now they're starting to look at that artist in a slightly different light. They're not going to fully accept everything there is to know about them straight away, but you've sowed a seed. And then you can do that with older people as well, uh, assuming they're willing to go there. So you can say, oh, you know, stuff to know about the Beatles and David Bowie was into some uh, occult stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, again, people are going to be like, well, you know, what do you mean? Tell me more. So once you can, uh, you know, if somebody is prepared to go where the information takes them, then you can move them forward from just the music industry into other areas of life. You know, if you're able to have another conversation with them, you say, well, you know, it's not just the music industry where all this stuff goes on. How do you think it's allowed to flourish and continue in the music industry? The only way it can is because you have secret societies and you have uh, occultists and you have all these different groups controlling things. And this goes into politics and it goes into big business and it goes into uh, the medical industry. It goes into academia. It goes into the military. And then suddenly you've got people looking at all these different areas and you stand the chance of altering their entire paradigm, their entire worldview. Again, if they're prepared to go there, many people won't be, but it's a great way of setting somebody off on that process. If they're of the mind and the will to go where the information takes them. 
I mean, um, it's fantastic. And this is what I've been doing for for about five or six years now. And the stuff that I've learned throughout this time has been been amazing. Um, I just wanted to um, ask you, do you think that they're overplaying this whole Illuminati thing? I remember my, my nephew's seven and he talks about the Illuminati and it makes me laugh. It's, it's almost like they've kind of branded it. So all of these symbols actually do mean something. They've kind of made them into a joke. So taking the seriousness out of them. That is, seems to be quite a um, quite a sort of something that they've used quite well in especially in music videos. It's the approved version of everything, isn't it? So uh, they want you to look over here so that you're not looking over there where other things are going on. We made a reference to this earlier. How uh, items are placed into the media to get everybody tittle tattling and gossiping around the water cooler about a particular thing so they're not looking somewhere else so i think there's been a certain amount of damage limitation being done when it comes to the illuminati in inverted commas and i see that term as being a sort of catch-all phrase that encompasses these various different uh, mystery schools and mm. occult groups and uh, think tank organizations and all this. I doubt that there's a singular organization that refers to itself as the Illuminati in existence today, but it's come to be taken as the umbrella term uh, that incorporates all these other different groups. And a few years ago, we had this ridiculous record by Madonna, which was actually called Illuminati. And it was this, you know, pop song where in the lyrics she's trying to tell people what the illuminati is yeah, and she that. says oh it's it's not you know sacrificing goats around a fire at midnight or something you know uh, i exaggerate but uh, she's saying uh, oh it's all about the upliftment of humanity and doing good deeds and there's nothing sinister about it this is the basic tone of the lyrics so you know young kids that are into madonna are kids still into madonna i don't think so Probably not. No. Slightly irrelevant. I don't these think days, no one's but... told her yet, but not to they are, no. <laughs> exactly. Nobody wants to see your gran in a leotard. Oh, Madonna. Definitely don't. No. L let the leotards go. You're in your <laughs> in your sixties. Grow old gracefully, please. She doesn't know what's going on. She can only remember the last thing she remembers is I think the Frozen album. After that, it's all a blank. <laughs> yeah, she looked good in the eighties, but it ain't yep. the eighties anymore. No. So, uh, yeah, anyone listening to that record would think, oh, well, that's what the Illuminati is about then, because Madonna's just told us. Uh, and then you have all these signs and symbols that appear in videos, and I'm sure a lot of it is overdone. They're just placed in there blatantly to get people talking and uh, to get kids thinking they're hip and wise to what all these symbols are. The real reason why they place all these symbols, in my view, which has come through many times in my work, is that it's all adhering to this tenet of placing the truth in plain sight, mm. revelation of the method, which is a very important concept to these occult groups that we're talking about, uh, particularly Freemasonry, but many others as well. Uh, it's kind of written into their doctrines that they have to give the public, we profane ones, the opportunity to know what they're all about and understand what's going on. So they do it in symbolic form. They do it in cryptic, encoded ways. They place the truth of these things into movies and music videos and record sleeves and promotional photos and things like this in the knowledge that the vast majority of people seeing that stuff are not going to understand what it means. For a start, most of it is subliminal. It's subliminal images that don't get fully processed by the conscious mind they just reside in the subconscious mind but nevertheless as they see it 
they've given us an opportunity to understand they've communicated uh, their intent and their will and the truth of what they're all about and if we're too uh, ignorant and profane to recognize it well then uh, too bad uh, the onus is on us now and, it, and the karmic burden is off of them that's the way they see it it might sound ridiculous to people again but it's a very real thing and you will find different expressions of this going back through history in many different traditions in many different uh, mystery school teachings and such it's something that's very important to them so they've had to find a way of kind of deflecting true attention to, to what's going on with, the, with all these signs and symbols and again it's a case of getting people to look over here and think oh it's just uh, these 666 signs and these baphomet signs and stuff it's just these artists trying to be controversial and making out their satanic and all of this to detract from the, the real reason why it's being done see they don't really want large numbers of us working out what all these signs and symbols and all these different clues mean they're only doing it because they feel duty bound within creation to communicate this stuff to us because i really do believe that they think they're getting themselves off uh, of any kind of karmic payback by placing this emphasis on us but it's not in their interests for large numbers of people to wake up and understand this stuff and start communicating it they only want a small group to ever ever be able to see it at any given time uh, so that's why they're getting everybody to look over here well the real dark stuff is going on over there you know, this is a favoured tactic that we see being played out time and time again. And you made a reference there to all this Harvey Weinstein shit that's going on. And, you know, the very same week we get this Michael Jackson documentary and everyone's talking about what he may or may not have been up to. And, uh, you know, uh, the Kanye West story and uh, the R. Kelly stuff continues. And there's the story about Keith Flint from The Prodigy this week that's yeah. keeping British people talking about all that. So, yeah, it's a very favoured tactic. They've been doing it forever. Yeah, I think that was one of the big things and the, the missing pieces in my in the puzzle of my research was why are they showing people? And then I read your books and that was one of the things that really fit in was like, they have to, for karmic law, to say, look, we show, we told you and you didn't want to take any notice. That really struck home with me and that made so much sense. Um, mm. So that is something that, that, that I really took from your work. Um, so thank you for your time. You've, it's been excellent. I know you're a busy man and I really appreciate you taking the time to speak to me. Where can people find your work, your books um, and your website? Okay, cheers. Well, uh, both volumes of the book, Musical Truth, Volumes 1 and 2, are on Amazon. You can find it there. It's also on Barnes & Noble. You can just search for Mark Devlin Musical Truth. If anyone wants to get a copy of either book from me direct, I send out signed copies and we can cut Amazon out of the picture, which makes for a better deal for me and uh, those nasty tax-avoiding uh, uh, scamsters at Amazon, Amazon. Uh, <laughs> don't get to make quite so much profit, yeah. which is uh, no bad thing, right? So you can drop me an email to markdevlinuk at gmail.com and we can uh, arrange that. Yeah. Uh, my YouTube channel is Mark Devlin, sorry, youtube.com slash Mark Devlin TV. And on there, I've got a whole load of my conference talks uploaded. I've got a load of my radio interviews that I've done. And uh, I've also got my Good Vibrations podcast series, which is conversation based like this one. That's where I interview various other people on different subjects. Uh, that is also available on my Spreaker uh, page. So if you go to Spreaker.com and search for Mark Devlin there, you'll find my Good Vibration podcast and The Sound of Freedom. And this one is Conscious Music 
message music by real artists Fantastic. putting themselves across in their own way making artistic statements they're not shackled by corporate agendas they're not beholden to any uh, record companies or overlords or handlers this is real music this is stuff that should be on the radio 24 hours a day but of course it's not so you have to de- dig very deep to find this stuff and uh, that's what i do when i assemble these shows and they're all in one place i'm up to I think it's 87 shows now, and they're all archived on my Spreaker. So it's called The Sound of Freedom. And if you want some real hard-hitting music that expresses what's really on the minds of so many people in these times, then take a look at that. Okay. Uh, so, so I'm writing a new book at the moment as well. Yeah. Uh, I started that just this week, so I'm on sort of day three of getting that whole thing done. And the next book is going to be a novel. Oh, fantastic. So it's uh, I wanted to try my hand at fiction because it will be the first piece of fiction that I've written. And it's a story that is set in Oxford in 1990, going into 1991, which is a very fascinating time. Uh, The story is uh, personal in quite a few ways to me because 1990 is the year that I uh, got my first sort of music industry break when I started working at a radio station in Oxford. So uh, there's going to be a lot of period detail from the time. So 1990, you had uh, the rave scene, you know, the the dance music scene was in full flow. You had all these open air festivals and raves and stuff. So they're going to be making an appearance in the story. And it's going to bring in elements of my work in musical truth, talking about what these scenes may have really all been about and where all the drugs came from, the E, you know. Mm. Uh, there's going to be references to some of the political stuff that was happening. You had the poll tax riots that year. It was the last year of Thatcherism before she got kicked out in November of 1990. You had the first Gulf War that was launched by George Bush uh, against Saddam Hussein. So all this stuff is going to appear in the narrative. And I'm just really looking forward to conveying some truths through that book. So it's not going to be just straight fiction for the sake of it. It's going to be a vehicle to get forward uh, some spiritual truths and some empowering information in terms of the way the story pans out. So it's a very different thing for me to do. And I'm on day three of writing it, but I'm really enjoying it so far. I hope to get that out by the end of the year. It's probably going to be published early 2020, which will be the 30th anniversary of all of that. Fantastic. Um, And what I'll do is I'll put all the links that you've mentioned in the podcast. So when you scroll down, you can click on all the links and they'll go through to everything you've mentioned. And I'd love to do another interview with about your book and some of the subjects in your the book you're right at the moment at some point when you've got time. And thank you, Mark, for giving me the opportunity to chat to you because I know you're a busy man and um I keep love to keep sharing some information back and forth as well because um, sure. it's great to keep that conversation going and and I know as a, as an independent filmmaker, documentary filmmaker, and podcaster that how hard it is to do this and and juggle a family and juggle um, a day job and keep going and um, people like us and other people like David Ike and Gareth Ike who I speak to quite regularly and these these guys Neil Sanders is another great one. Yep. are the ones that are making the difference slowly but surely and i appreciate your time so thank you mate no worries man and thank you for getting me on and uh thank you for your work as well you're making a very valuable contribution it's a collective effort like you say you know a phrase i used to use at the end of my, the end of my talks was one person can't change the world 
but they can be an essential component in the process that does. Mm. So uh, we've just all got to keep doing our thing and stay on the same page and keep the same goals in mind, which is the liberation and upliftment of humanity and the breaking away from this control system that's had us in its grip for far too long. And we all play our part in that. So well done for what you do as well. And Thank you, mate. Keep and, on. And um, yeah, support each other. Stop fighting. Don't argue about the details, who's right oh, or yeah, wrong. Yeah, Just yeah, support each other and be on each other's shows. Share information and we all, all want the same thing. stupid fucking infighting just, exactly. just does my head in. We no. all want the same thing at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, we're supposed to anyway. So I don't want to be right. I just want to feel safe. And, um, that's... and that's it. So thank you, mate. And I appreciate your time. No worries. All the best to you. Cheers, mate. You take care of yourself. Bye-bye.